I really agree with Susan. A highlight for me about your meeting was the beloved college president. When he stood up and shared how he wants to take the loan, not just for being any regular college like all the colleges around there, but wants it to go back to its Christian roots and really be a Christian geek in the world. I mean, everybody stood up and gave a standing ovation. Alumni cry. I, I was very much moved by it, too. And I'm so happy about that, about our, our university. I, I think good things are happening, and within our denomination. Just one quick story to me before I get into this. We also, we also saw family and friends. Thank you. That's better, isn't it? We also saw family and friends while we were in Ohio. And one friend of mine I hadn't seen in 44 years. He was a high school classmate. We played football together. And we also saw the vision that I have shared here many times, which brought me to Christ of the four supernatural beings or angels that passed through the door of the Arnold Lynch funeral home. And he noticed them first. I talked to him a year after that event just to see where he was at spiritually. And while that brought me to saving faith in Christ, that miracle that we witnessed, it didn't him. And I lost touch with him for 44 years. And I was telling that story to someone at pastor's conference. And they said, what happened to the other guy? So I said, you know what? I, I don't know. I've lost touch with him. So I went a long roundabout way to get in touch with him and finally nailed him down last evening of, that we were going to be in Canton. He came over to dad's house and Kathy and my dad and myself shared with him. And while still not a believer, he was very soft and open. And so if you just think about think about the guy that saw the vision with Pastor Ed and if you if he comes to your mind, pray for him that he'll take that final step into saving faith. All right. I'll, I'll write more in a recap this week about uh, our yearly meeting experience, but it was great. Well, I'm in the second of a four part series on Moses, the prince of Egypt. And the story today is the, the story that leads up to the actual exodus or exit of the Jewish people from Egypt, God was going to send ten mighty plagues to convince the Pharaoh to let my people go. But what I'm going to share with you this morning is much more than meets the eye about these plagues. Let me just give a brief recap of the story. I know it's a very familiar story. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and enslaved in Egypt. And he was also in prison for about 13 years. There was a, but he rose to power in Egypt, became second in command. And a famine struck the land, the whole region. And Joseph's family migrated to Egypt. His father, Jacob, and his 11 brothers and their families, about 70 people in all, came down to Egypt. And they were sustained by Joseph's wise planning. But then Joseph died. And another Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph and enslaved the people of Israel for some 400 years. God raised up a deliverer named Moses by a burning bush experience to go back and set my people free. Let's read Exodus 7, 1 through 5. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell 
Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he also hardened his own heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Here God tells Moses he's going to do three things. He's going to bring Israel out of Egypt. He's going to do it by great judgments and do it in a way that the Egyptians and the Israelite people will know that he alone is God. Now look at Exodus 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Now, that's a very important piece of information in explaining another purpose of the Exodus that we really haven't thought about much. It wasn't a random happening. It was the ten plagues were a direct attack on ten important gods of Egypt. Ten being the number of fullness, completeness, like the Ten Commandments. They would be completely plagued. Their gods would be ruined and decimated and defeated. Remember, the Israelite people were under those gods. They were subject to them. They were influenced by them. Paul in Ephesians six twelve says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. They're not our enemy. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Egypt was very idolatrous with a multitude of gods and goddesses. So I want you to grasp this is the mythology here that I'm talking about. These are real evil spiritual beings that were worshipped by the Egyptian people. Many took the form of animals. Bulls were considered especially sacred. Cows, rams, cats, crocodiles, snakes, frogs, insects were worshipped. So each plague was a direct challenge on one or more Egyptian gods. God would show that he's mightier in power than any other spiritual entity and must alone be worshipped. And the Pharaoh, who would not recognize God at first, would at the end. Exodus 5, 2. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. I want to go into some detail here with you and share the ten gods of Egypt that were defeated by the mighty hand of God alone in these ten plagues. Plague number one. Waters turned to blood. Egyptian God, happy. God of the Nile. The first plague was a direct attack and was against the Nile River, which was the, the lifeblood and the economic heartbeat of, it, of Egypt. Egypt was a desert country. The Nile was their source of water. It irrigated the land. It was also a major trade highway north and south through the country. 
But not only was the Nile affected, but all other waterways and even water stored in their homes became blood. This was a disaster for Egypt. Their water source became undrinkable. The fish they ate out of the rivers died and stank. Happy was represented as a human man with a ram's head. He was credited by bringing the annual flood, which brought in tons of topsoil, which refertilized the land and made it good for crops and created marshlands. The Egyptian gods Sadhet and Hatel were also linked to the Nile. One of Egypt's trinity of gods, Osiris, was the god of the underworld. The Egyptians viewed the Nile River as his bloodstream. Now it was literally blood. Imagine how the Egyptians felt. Their life-sustaining river was now a cesspool of death. The Egyptian people before this, some 40 years before this, tossed thousands of helpless Israelite babies into the Nile River to drown. They would have been eaten by crocodiles and other fish. They sought the blood of Jewish children. And God said, if you want the blood of babies, I'll give you blood to drink. I think of the abortion industry as a major God that the Supreme Court justices, thanks be to God for them, is bringing that God down. Plague number two, frogs. The Egyptian god Hekwet, goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. Now, now, Pharaoh's magicians could duplicate the first plague and also the second plague of frogs. Frogs were common in Egypt due to the marshy areas around the Nile River. But this was different. Frogs were everywhere. They went into people's homes, on their beds, and in their food sources. Frogs were a manifestation of this goddess, Hecwit, the goddess of birth and the wife of the supposed creator of the world. She was depicted with the body of a woman and the head of a frog, as were the gods Nun, Kek, and Heth. They had frog heads. Frogs were viewed as sacred because they could live on both the land and the water. An interesting fact here, if you stepped on a frog and killed it, you could get the death penalty in Egypt. So two things about this plague are very ironic. This so-called goddess, which controlled birth, couldn't stop millions of frogs from infestating the land. She had no power. And it would have been impossible not to step on a frog and kill it during that time when they were all over your house and everywhere. So those people would have been petrified. They killed the frog. The goddess is mad at them and was going to kill them. Number three, plague number three, lice. That's my translation of that word there rather than gnats. Lice. Geb the Egyptian god of the earth. Aaron stretched out his rod and struck the dust of the ground, and it became lice. All the dust of the land became an infestation of lice on people and animals. This was a judgment on Geb, the god of the earth. Rather than bringing forth crops, he brought forth lice. He was powerless to prevent this. The Egyptians would have probably called on other gods, Horus in child form, to ward off dangerous creatures, and Imhotep, the god of medicine and healing, 
But no relief came. They were weak and powerless. Even the Pharaoh, who was considered a god, had lice too. And all the priests were powerless to stop this plague by their prayers and their rituals and their sorceries because they couldn't go into the temple because they had lice. They were unclean. This was a blow against the entire religion of Egypt. Plague number four. Swarms of flies, which I have in quotation marks. Egyptian god Kepri, god of the movement of the sun. Now, swarms was the original word there in the Hebrew of flies was added by translators. So it was some kind of buzzing, flying insect. I think for my research, it could be the scarab beetle or the dung beetle. These insects fed on manure and they were very destructive. They had saw like teeth. Kepri was depicted as a man with the head of a dung beetle. Dung beetles would roll manure into balls and push them. The Egyptians believed that Kepri pushed the sun across the sky. They viewed scarab beetles as divine since they emerged from dead animals. They viewed that they were created out of death and thus symbolized rebirth and resurrection. They just didn't know that these little insects just laid their eggs in manure or in dead carcasses and that they were born later. Kepri was shown to be incapable of controlling these destructive chewing insects. Also, the god Ammon, the god of wind, couldn't blow them away. The true God was greater. This was the first plague that the Jewish people who were living in the land of Goshen, a part of Egypt, were not impacted by. The fifth plague was disease on livestock. The Egyptian god Hathor, goddess of love and protection. This was a plague against domesticated animals. The Jewish people's animals were protected, though. This was also an economic disaster for Egypt. It affected their food, transportation, military and farming. Cattle were also were not only highly valued, but also considered sacred. Egyptians worshipped them. And so maybe you've wondered why the Jewish people, when they left Egypt and they created a golden calf to worship, why that? Well, this is why. This is one of the main gods of Egypt, the cow or the calf, uh, particularly bulls. The apis bull was very sacred. When one of these bulls died, it was mourned like the death of a person. They embalmed these bulls and put them in tombs like Pharaoh. The creator sun gods, Adam and Ra, were represented by black bulls. The creation goddesses, Nut and Neth, were represented as celestial cows. The goddess Hathor was a woman with a cow's head. And this goddess was the symbolic mother of Pharaoh. All these gods were unable to stop the plague on their domesticated animals, and especially the cow, which was so revered in Egypt. The sixth plague was boils. The Egyptian god Isis the goddess of medicine and peace. At this plague, Moses took the ashes from Pharaoh's furnace and scattered them in the wind. And as they landed on people, they got boils. 
Egypt worshipped several healing deities by sacrificing human beings to these deities. Their victims would be burnt in a fire and their ashes thrown up in the air. And the people who wanted healing would stand near these bodies that were being sacrificed, hoping that their ashes would fall on them and heal them. So in this plague, the ashes fell on the people and their animals and they were stricken with boils. The gods Amhotep, Thoth, Nefertum and Isis of the Egyptian Trinity she was the wife of Osiris. She supposedly brought him back to life after death. She and all these gods could not stop the plague of boils. The priests couldn't. The doctors couldn't. They were hopelessly helpless and powerless. Plague number seven, hail. And you could read this in Exodus 7 through 11, all these plagues, that, that's the larger context from which I'm drawing this. I encourage you to read those chapters. Hail, the Egyptian god Nut, N-U-T, goddess of the sky. So the next plague was hail, which was very unusual for hail to fall in Egypt. There are places of Egypt where it only rains about two inches a year. This was the worst hailstorm ever in Egypt. Any animal or person outside died. All the leaves were stripped off the trees, the crops in the field, if there were any, destroyed. The goddess of the sky, Nut, was powerless to do anything about it, as was Shu, the god of the air. Horus, the hawk-headed third member of the Egyptian trinity, powerless. Seth, the god of storms and protector of crops, couldn't do anything as could Nepper, the god of grain, all weak, all powerless. The Egyptians would have clearly have seen this and known this. The Egyptian economy suffered another devastating blow. Their fish are dead. Their livestock are dead. Their crops destroyed by hail. God showed that he alone was God and powerful over all the gods of Egypt. Eighth plague, locusts. Egyptian god Seth, the god of storms and disorder. What crops were left from the hail were eaten by the locusts. Now, locust plagues happen today. Billions of locusts will swarm on a place and eat and destroy everything. It's almost like a giant black cloud. There's so many locusts. That's what it would have been like. God's Anubis, Osiris, Isis, Seth, Nepher, Shu, Anum, God's already mentioned here, all powerless. Their fields were destroyed and battered by hail, fire, and locusts. Plague number nine, darkness. This is a direct attack on the Egyptian god Ra, the god of the sun. It was dark over Egypt for three days, a heavy Black, supernatural darkness. They couldn't see anything in front of them. It would be like being blind. It's a darkness you could feel. They would have been absolutely terrified because of their God, Ra. This plague was a direct attack on the chief god of Egypt, Ra, the sun god. It was very sunny in Egypt. Most days are sunny there. And no god was worshipped more than this god, Ra. Ra was the creator, the giver of life, 
the sun was worshipped. Pharaohs took their name, Ramses, after this god Ra. So the most revered and powerful god in Egypt, totally powerless and helpless to do anything about this plague. The Egyptians certainly would have registered in their minds, our chief god has been defeated by the God of Israel. And the plagues like some of these that I've mentioned in the book of Exodus, including darkness, reappear in the book of Revelation at the end of the age. We'll see some of these plagues again someday. Tenth plague, death of the firstborn. Egyptian God, Pharaoh. The tenth plague was very selective It only destroyed the Egyptian firstborn child and animal. So why the firstborn? Let's go back to Exodus 4, 22 and 23. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. The firstborn son would receive the greater share of the inheritance. And in this case, Pharaoh's son would be the future king of Egypt. Pharaoh, the pharaohs were worshipped as sons of Ra, the chief sun god. Circuit, goddess and protector of the helpless, powerless. Meshkanet, goddess of birth, failed to save. Sobek. Renutant, special protectors of Pharaoh and his family, helpless and worthless. But God's people in the land of Goshen were supernaturally protected from the angel of death as the angel of death made his way across Egypt. Why? Because their homes, they were instructed to protect your home and everyone in it, your firstborn in it, by putting the blood of the Passover lamb over the doorposts. And when the angel of death passes over that night, he'll pass over Your house. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. It's his blood that protects us, that keeps us alive. Pharaoh finally relented the loss of his son. The Jews left that night, but then he changed his mind. He pursued them with 600 chariots and his best charioteers. And it says all the chariots of Egypt pursued them. They chased them all the way across the Sinai Peninsula To the bank of the Red Sea. So God reserved one last judgment on Egypt, on Pharaoh himself. The pharaohs were considered gods, as I said, sons of Ra, the sun god. They built tremendous monuments to themselves. But this pharaoh couldn't stop the plagues. He couldn't stop the Jews from leaving his land because he was a mere man, not a god. He couldn't stop the waters of the Red Sea from crashing down all his chariots and and all those soldiers. He lost his entire army. God showed that he was greater than all the gods of Egypt. This is a lesson for us. Look at the gods of America, the gods of money and power, of sports and entertainment, of sex outside of marriage, of abortion. God is going to bring these gods down too, every one of them in his own timing. And from this story, we also see that God takes sin very seriously. Every sin is serious. 
It's a direct affront and offense against him. Psalm 51, 4 says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Sin not repented of leads to separation from God. But God is patient. He gives time for human beings to repent. But his patience runs out. He warns and warns. Then eventually he brings judgment. And there are prophetic voices out there today, warning, get ready, repent, turn from sin, turn back to God, surrender your life to God. God is willing to forgive. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all sin. No matter what we've done, because of the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb. We can be forgiven. We can put the blood of the lamb over uh, the doorpost of our heart and be protected. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Just a time of confession, reflection here. Time to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Is there any sin that you need to confess and forsake? Any gods that you've put before him? Think about that. Confess that sin to the Lord and be forgiven. Lord, as we spend this moment of quiet before you, you are God. You alone are God. There are no gods besides you. These evil spiritual beings are powerful. They're deceivers. They're liars. And they deceive us. And they speak to us that follow me. Do what I say. You'll have wealth, you'll have power, you'll have fame, whatever those lies are. But Lord, we reject those gods of America and we follow you as the one true God. We want to know you. We want to walk with you and talk with you every day. Thank you, Lord, for seeing hearts that are, are confessing, that are talking to you this morning, that are saying, Lord, I want to know you better. Make yourself more real to me. You are God. I acknowledge you. In Jesus' name, amen.